Genesis 18, and let's begin reading verse 16 this evening. <clears throat> Genesis 18, verse 16 says, And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have all done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Let's <clears throat> begin our time with a word of prayer. The Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we were able to gather this evening once more around your word. We thank you, Lord, for the, the freedom that we have in this country too, uh, to gather, Lord, without fear of persecution. And we pray now, Lord, this evening you would help us to uh, focus on you, to concentrate on your word. May you speak to our hearts this evening. May you refresh us through your word and challenge us, Lord, as only you can. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me now through the Spirit you would give me wisdom and guidance to speak, that it would indeed be your words this evening, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified and praised. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <clears throat> now, last Sunday morning, of course, we looked at the start of chapter 18 here, and we saw that Abraham entertained these three heavenly visitors. Abraham, of course, was sitting there in the in the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he looked up and he saw these three men standing by. Let's just read verse 1 and 2 to refresh our minds. It says in verse 1 there, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servants. And so Abraham, he looked up, he saw these three, these three men, and he immediately sprang into action. We saw him run to meet these three men. He fell down and he worshipped the middle one because he recognized him as Lord. And he invited them, entreated them to stay as he prepared a meal for them. You know, we talked about the fact that Abraham evidently had been praying for another meeting with the Lord, praying for another occasion like this. Because his wife Sarah still didn't believe the promise that they would have a son. So he'd been praying about this. He was waiting expectantly for the Lord to answer his prayer. And as he looked up, this was the answer to prayer. And so Abraham, with great excitement, with great expectation, he then set about in haste. We talked about how he ran about here, there and everywhere, trying to prepare a meal for the Lord. And the other two, who of course were angels who were with the Lord. And he did all that because he was excited. He was waiting expectantly to sit down and to hear what they had to say unto him, what the Lord had to say. 
unto him. And of course, the message on this occasion was primarily for Sarah's sake, wasn't it? Sarah was in the tent behind the flap and she overheard the conversation. And the Lord deliberately reiterated his promise that Sarah would conceive and she would have a son. And Sarah's initial response was to uh, be filled with disbelief, with a lack of faith. She laughed cynically at the Lord. But of course, this meeting turned, to be, turned out to be the, the turning point in her life. It was, the, it was the point that strengthened her faith. And she would believe the Lord and she would conceive. And Hebrews 11 talks about her faith, doesn't it? Her faith in the promise of the Lord. And now with verse 16, we see the meal is now over. The, the conversation is finished. The, the purpose of this visit is over. And the men rise up to leave. The Lord and these two angels, they rise up to leave. And we're told that they look toward Sodom. In other words, they're heading towards Sodom. That's where they're now traveling. They're traveling in that direction. And it's immediately apparent that they had another uh, purpose, another mission to perform. And it involved this city, the city of Sodom, the city where Lot and his family, of course, were dwelling at this time. And Abraham, being the good host that he is, he sets out with them on the road to see them on their way. He goes with them a short way to say goodbye. And as they're walking, the Lord stops to speak with his servants once more. And before us this evening, we have recorded yet again another remarkable conversation that takes place between Abraham and the Lord. So first of all, here this evening, we see the, the Lord's announcement. We see the Lord's announcement. Let's just read verse 16 again. It says, And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. Now, as we mentioned, in verse 16 here, we see that Abraham, he sets out with his guests to bring them on their way, being the good host. And according to Jewish tradition, Abraham went as far as a spot on the hills, the hills of the Jordan Valley there, a spot called Kafar Baruka. Okay, that's where Jewish tradition places this conversation. And probably the reason they choose this as the, the location is that right here on the hills, there's a, a steep ravine that looks straight down into the valley, down to where, towards where the Dead Sea is now, where, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah once stood. And so it seems that they stop and they're looking down this, this ravine, looking down this valley, looking at... Sodom and Gomorrah, as this conversation takes place, the Lord here reveals to Abraham what's on his heart. That's what happens here. The Lord reveals his heart unto Abraham. And in verse 17 to 21, we, we see the Lord seemingly here talking to himself. He's talking with himself, uh, perhaps with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the three are having a conversation, but they're, they're talking out loud. He intends for Abraham to overhear the words of this, this conversation. Let's just read it again, verse 17. It says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And so here we see the Lord speaking, as it were, to himself. Now perhaps he's talking to the angels with him, but it, 
Seems more like it's a conversation with himself, okay, the Lord is having here. But he wants Abraham to overhear. He intends for Abraham to hear these words. You see, the Lord wanted Abraham to know his intentions concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, after all, this is where Lot and his family are living, and so it concerns Abraham's family, doesn't it? But there's more to it than that. That's not the only reason why the Lord reveals these things to Abraham. You see, more than that, Abraham was the friend of God. He's the friend of God. And so the Lord here is revealing to his friend the reason why these things are about to take place. These things are about to happen. In James chapter 2, verse 23, we won't turn there, but it, it calls him the friend of God. It says Abraham was called the friend of God. And we see the Lord here acknowledge that friendship. As we see him speaking about Abraham here in verse 17 and 18, it says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. We sense here the friendship, don't we? The Lord, he's saying, how can I hide this from my friend? How can I hide this from Abraham? He doesn't want to keep this secret from his friend. He can't keep this secret. He feels he has to tell his friend Abraham. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ said a similar thing in the New Testament about his disciples. Let's just turn over there, John 15. In John chapter 15, we'll start in verse 14 there. John 15, verse 14, it says, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father have I made known unto you. The Lord told his disciples, he said, they're more than servants, they are his friends. And that's why he hadn't held back, he'd revealed these things unto him. He'd he'd revealed unto them the things he'd heard from the Father. Now there is a lesson here, isn't there, that the closer we are in our relationship with the Lord, the more he reveals himself to us, the more we understand his workings as we're closer with the Lord, we're walking with him. Abraham had this close relationship with the Lord, this close friendship And that's why the Lord reveals these things unto him. This is why this conversation takes place. In Psalm 25 verse 14, it says, The the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. This secret is revealed to Abraham because he fears the Lord. And so the Lord here reveals this secret. He can't keep this knowledge from his friends. And indeed, Abraham needed to know the reason for the destruction, so that he might then explain it to his children. It's sort of a flow-on effect here, isn't there? He needed to know because Lot and his family are there. He needs to know because he's the friend of God. But he also needed to know so he might tell his children, and they might tell their children. And so they might know why God did this to Sodom and Gomorrah, and so we might know. I mean, it's recorded in the Word of God for us, isn't it? And so we might know that our God is both a merciful God, but he's also a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. He's both. A God of love and a God of wrath. A God of mercy and a God of justice. The commentator Morris writes this. He would need to explain, Abraham would need to explain to his children and they to all their descendants, the desolate region of Sodom would, in the centuries to come, be a perpetual warning to Israel 
that although God is gracious and merciful and long-suffering, He is also a God of wrath, and He will not spare when the time of His judgment comes. And so the Lord needed to. He felt He needed to reveal this to His friend for all of these reasons. To reveal these truths to Abraham. And in verse 19, the Lord then goes on and gives a striking testimony, if you like, to Abraham's character. Look at verse 19 there, it says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. The Lord here says, For I know him. That word know there, again speaks about this friendship. It, it talks about the Lord knowing Abraham as an intimate friend. And he says, I know him, I understand him, I know I can trust Abraham with this knowledge, with this information. He knew he could trust Abraham to command his children and to command his household to keep the way of the Lord. He knew that Abraham would use this information faithfully as a vehicle of instruction for his descendants. He said the Lord trusted his friend here. This really is a wonderful statement about Abraham, isn't it? And the Lord's relationship with him. That he feels that he can trust this information to him and for Abraham to use it faithfully. And it's then in verse 20 to 21 that the Lord now makes his announcement concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 20 it says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. You just come up unto me, and if not, I will know. Now in this announcement the Lord makes here concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, He doesn't actually, in, actually state that He's going to destroy these cities, does He? He doesn't say that in particular, but that is the clear implication of what the Lord says here. Okay, that is the clear implication, and Abraham understood that. We know from the end of the chapter when he pleads with the Lord. He understood that was the implication of what the Lord says here. The Lord declares there in verse 20, he says, The cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. The cry that went up from Sodom and Gomorrah was great. You know, this was a cry that man couldn't hear. Abraham couldn't hear this cry. The only one who could hear this cry is the Lord God of heaven. The commentator Maya put it this way, Quiet though Sodom seemed in the far distance, and in the hush of the closing day, yet to God there was a cry. The cry of the earth compelled to carry such a scar. The cry of inanimate creation groaning and travailing in pain. The cry of the oppressed, the downtrodden, the victims of human violence and lust. The cry of the maiden, the wife and the child. These were the cries which had entered into the ears of the Lord God of Sabaoth. You see, that's the point here. This cry yeah, it wasn't audible to man's ears, but to God, there was a cry that was great going up from Sodom and Gomorrah. This cry was the cry of those who were suffering in pain because of the sin and the wickedness. It was the cry of creation groaning and travailing. It was going up to the Lord, demanding justice, demanding the Lord act. Vengeance from a holy God. 
you know, it was a cry that God could not ignore. God could not ignore it. God could not ignore this cry. It demanded for him to act. You know, we saw a similar phrase back in Genesis chapter 4. Just go back there, Genesis 4. Starting verse 9, Genesis chapter 4. Of course, is the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. It's the same idea. You know, Cain had murdered his brother Abel, and the cry of his blood went up to the Lord. Abel's blood cried out for justice. It cried out for God to do something about this wickedness, this sin. You see, God hears the cries of those affected and hurt by sin. God hears the cry for justice to be done. And indeed, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah was great. And the cry was great, why? Because of their sin which is very grievous at the end of verse 20 there. Okay? Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. This is why the cry was so loud, the cry was great, because their sin was very grievous. Now it's interesting, back in chapter 15 and verse 16, the Lord had said to Abraham that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Okay, just quickly read that, Genesis 15. <clears throat> Verse 16, remember he he told Abraham that his descendants would go down into Egypt. They'd spend four generations there, 400 years. Okay, he says in verse 16, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The reason why the Israelites went and spent those 400 years in captivity in Egypt was because the iniquity of the Amorites, the, the nations dwelling in the land of Canaan was not yet full. They weren't right for destruction. There was still, the Lord was still giving them time to repent, to turn from their sin, from their wickedness. As we talked about there, God is long-suffering, isn't he, with mankind. But it's interesting here, these cities, their time is up, isn't it? These cities, their sin is so grievous that Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities with them there in that, on that, uh, that plain there, those cities, their iniquity now is full. The time of their destruction has come. The time for judgment has come. The Lord says that their sin is very grievous. You know, the long suffering of God in relation to Sodom and Gomorrah had been exhausted. And the time of their judgment was now drawing nigh. Now we saw back in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, that God's long-suffering towards mankind is not eternal, is it? It does have an end date. It does come to an end. Genesis chapter 6. Remember before the flood. <clears throat> Genesis 6, verse 3, the Lord said, uh, sorry, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. God said, My long-suffering has an end date. I won't continue to be patient. There will come a day when my my righteousness, my holiness, will demand that I pour out my wrath upon mankind. And that was the case for these cities here. 
their iniquity was now full. Their sin was very grievous. Their time had run out. But I guess the question is, why had the time run out for these cities in particular, not the rest of the the Canaanite cities? Why is it that these cities here are chosen? Why is it that these cities are destroyed? Well, Morris writes this. He says, their sin was particularly inexcusable in that they were more, sorry, in that they, more than any of the other cities in the land of Canaan, had seen the power of the Lord. They had been wonderfully delivered from a horrible fate at the hand of the kings of the east through Abraham's divinely empowered rescue. And they had heard the testimony of Melchizedek. God had given them a special opportunity to know him and they had rejected him and fallen in even grosser wickedness than before. I never really ever thought about that before. But it's true. You know, the rest of the Canaanite cities were wicked. That was sinful. What, what stands out about Sodom and Gomorrah in that? Yes, they are horrible, and we'll learn that in chapter 19. We'll see their, their wickedness, their sin. But more than that, they had had a chance, hadn't they? They had had an opportunity when, when they had been taken captive by the kings of the east... Abraham had gone and rescued them in the power of God. And it was clear God had done it because he was outnumbered. He shouldn't have won the victory. But God had given him victory. God had brought, brought them back safely home. They'd heard Melchizedek talk to Abraham. They'd seen this. You see, they'd, had been, they'd been given an opportunity, hadn't they? An opportunity there and then to recognize their sin and turn from their sin, and turn towards the Lord God. Not only that, they also had Lot in their midst, and for all of Lot's faults, he was a righteous man. And Lot was there, and I'm sure he did in some way try and tell people about God. They had an opportunity. They were accountable. You know, the New Testament talks about to whom much is given, much more is required. They had been given an opportunity. And so verse 21 here, we read that the Lord, having heard the cry because their sin is very grievous, the Lord is now going to go down and see for himself the situation. It says there in verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up unto me. And if not, I will know. The Lord says he's going to go down and see, and see the situation for himself. You know, in the same way the Lord had come down to see the city of Babel and the tower there. Remember in chapter 11, verse 5. Let's just quickly read it. Genesis 11, verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. It's in chapter 11 there. The Lord came down to see the city there and to see the tower that they builded. Here we see the Lord says he's going to come down to see the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, of course, our God is omniscient, isn't he? Okay? He sees everything. He knows everything. And so God did not need to come down to see the city. He didn't need to come down to see Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness. He knew all about it. And so what's this talking about here? Well, in both places, it expresses the idea that God is now acting. God is now doing something about the sin, about the wickedness. It's a scary thing because the Lord God Almighty has risen from His throne in glory and He is now coming down. That's a scary thought, isn't it? 
He is coming down, and he's not coming down for a good reason. He's coming down to see the wickedness. You see, the Lord is coming down now to act. By this action, the Lord himself shows, shows that he is the righteous judge, the just judge. You see, he comes and examines all the facts before he passes judgments. Indeed, the end of the verse emphasizes that point. He says, and if not, I will know. He says, if it's not as bad as, you know, I know it is, I will know. Okay? The point there is, the Lord says, I am just Abraham. I am righteous. I know all things. I know all the facts of the case. And my judgment will be fair and just. That's really what he's saying here. I've come down to see, and my judgments upon these cities will be fair will be just. As I was reading the announcement of the Lord here concerning Sodom and Gomorrah, that their time had run out. Not about you, but we cannot help but think about the age in which we live. The age in which we live. You know, the modern world has been given plenty of time. The modern world has been given plenty of opportunities to turn from their sin and to acknowledge the Lord God. The modern world has had in, and it had in its possession the completed Word of God, the complete revelation of God, the gospel message in its possession for almost 2,000 years. That's a long time, isn't it? For God to give us every opportunity to turn towards the Lord. And yet more and more, what do we see? Mankind is turning away from God, rejecting God, not turning towards God. You see, like Sodom and Gomorrah, things are getting worse, not better. Not better. You know, thinking about our nation in particular, you know, our nation was founded upon Christian principles, wasn't it? You know, there was a day when we would have called our nation a Christian nation. You know, really, that's no longer the case, is it? That's no longer the case. Every day our nation turns further and further away from God. And the reality is that God's long-suffering towards this world, towards our nation, will come to an end. Now, God has assured mankind that judgment will come. He will not always strive with man. There is an end date to his long-suffering. You know, the cry of sin is going up to heaven even now, and God is hearing that cry. And a day will soon come when God will rise from his throne, and he will come with righteous judgments. Psalm 98 verse 9 says, For he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. God is coming. The day is coming when he will rise to judge the earth. You know, knowing all of this, knowing that this judgment is fast approaching, how should we or what should we as believers do? How should we react? What should we do? Well, Abraham here gives us a wonderful example in his response now to the Lord. And that's the second point this evening. We see Abraham's humble intercession. Abraham's humble intercession. Look in verse 22. It says, And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 22, we see 
the two angels now leave the Lord. Okay? They continue walking on towards Sodom. And now Abraham is left with the Lord. But Abraham, instead of just turning and heading home, he feels constrained now to respond, to speak to the Lord, to intercede. You see, Abraham responds to what he has heard, this pronouncement of judgment. He responds by making intercession now for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities. He makes intercession on their behalf. In verse 23 to 33, we have recorded Abraham's humble prayer of intercession. Let's just read it, and we'll read it just once. Let's read it through. It says in verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? And that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, ten be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communion with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Here we see Abraham's humble prayer of intercession for the city of Sodom and indeed by implication the other cities. And now there's no doubt here that Abraham is concerned about Lot and his family. That, that certainly is part of his motivation here. He is concerned for Lot, concerned for his family. But this prayer goes beyond that. Abraham here is praying for the city as well, isn't he? He's praying for the city. You see, Abraham, he no doubt knew people in these cities. You think about it, he, he rescued them from the kings of the east. He'd brought them back down the Jordan Valley. He got to know some of them. He knew them. He knew them personally. He also knew their simple practices. He knew what they were like. He knew how wicked they were, but he was still concerned for them. You notice that? He's still concerned for these cities. Abraham here prays that there might be a way that the cities might be spared. So they might have time to turn towards the Lord. He's praying for God to give them more time on the basis of righteous people within the city. He's praying for more time. Now, Weasby writes this, Why would Abraham want God to spare such wicked people? Far better that they should be wiped off the face of the earth. 
Of course, Abraham's first concern was for Lot and his family, but even apart from Lot's situation, Abraham did not want to see all those people die and be lost forever. God is not willing that any should perish, and he, he will have all men to be saved. You see, Abraham here, by his prayer, demonstrates that he understood the heart of his God, didn't he? He understood his God. In Ezekiel 33 verse 11, it says this, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die? The Lord God himself says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not take pleasure in destroying the wicked and pouring out his wrath, pouring out his judgment. He doesn't take pleasure in it. You see, this is the God we serve. He doesn't take pleasure in it. Why? Because he loves all people, all mankind. And the servant of God, whose heart is in tune with God, like Abraham, will not take pleasure in their destruction either. He doesn't take pleasure in it. He doesn't want to see these cities destroyed. And so we see here that Abraham, he is concerned not just for Lot, he's concerned for the city as a whole. And his prayer is that there might be enough righteous people that the city will be spared. And so Abraham here, as we just read, he prays to the Lord that the city might be spared if there's 50 righteous people within. And then 45, and then 40, and then 30, and 20. Until finally he's praying, Lord, if there's 10 righteous people, will you spare the city? And of course the Lord each time says yes. The answer is yes. If he finds 10 righteous people in Sodom, and by implication in the other cities, he will spare these cities from destruction. You know, the basis of this intercessory prayer here from Abraham, the basis of that prayer, the foundation of his prayer was the righteous character and loving kindness of God. That's what he's praying. That's what he's, he's banking on. He's banking on his God. The righteous character of God and the loving kindness of God. If you look there again in verse 23, it says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then in verse 25, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You see, Abraham, he knew his God, didn't he? You know, we talked about his friendship with God. His friendship meant he understood his God, he knew the Lord. And he knew that his God is a righteous judge. And destroying the the righteous with the unrighteous is not righteousness, is it? That's not fair. And he's appealing to God's righteousness here. He knows he's the righteous judge. He knows that his God must do rights. Abraham knew God couldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked, and so he makes this intercessory prayer. And this is the reason that God answers his prayer too, isn't it? Because Abraham here is praying in accordance with the will and character of his God. You notice that he's praying in accordance to the will and the character of God. And so we see that for the sake of the righteous, God says he will spare the city if there was only ten righteous found therein. It didn't take much. It's only a small minority. It shows you how important the righteous are to God within a place. He says, if I find ten, I will spare them. Now it seems that Abraham, he stops at ten 
because he was sure, he was confident there was ten righteous in the city. In chapter 19, uh, verse 12, the angel talks about his, Lot and his, his family. Let's just have a quick look there. It seems that Lot's family consisted of around ten. Chapter 19, verse 12, says, And the men, the angels, said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? So verse 12 there mentions son-in-laws and mentions sons and mentions daughters and the implication is that there's a few of them, possibly adding up to at least 10. Now we can't say for sure how many children he had. We only know for sure of the two daughters who flee with him, the two unmarried daughters who flee with Lot and his wife from the city. Only four flee. Only four. Righteous if you want, but even then you would stretch to say all four were righteous, wouldn't you? But only four were spared. You see, in the end, there were not ten found righteous in the city. Abraham was confident there was, but there wasn't ten. There wasn't ten found, and so the city was not spared. Sodom, along with the other cities there in that that valley there, were destroyed by the Lord in chapter 19, as we'll see, for their sin and for their wickedness. Now, we could ask the question, you know, we could reason and say, what would have happened if if Abraham, sorry, had prayed for four? What would happen if he'd gone down to two or for one righteous? Would God have spared the city? But the truth is that we can rest in the knowledge, as Abraham did, that the judge of all the earth will do right. That's, that's what Abraham rested in. When he stops at ten, he's resting in that, isn't he? He's resting in the fact that his God will do right. Abraham trusted God to be just, to be fair. And indeed God was, he spared the righteous, didn't he? He was just, he was fair. He spared the righteous, but he dealt with the wicked, unrepentant cities. You know, like Abraham, as we said earlier, we've been made aware of the judgment that is to come, haven't we? We've been made aware in God's word that judgment is coming upon this earth, that time is running out. We've been given an insight into how God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. We know what's coming. Now, beloved, like Abraham, our response should be that we have a burden for the souls of men. That really should be our response. That we are concerned for those who are going to experience the wrath of God. Respond with an intercessory prayer like Abraham did. Persistently praying for the salvation of souls. Persistently seeking to be a a constant spiritual witness unto those around us who are unsaved warning them of the wrath that is to come, praying earnestly for them. When we look at the world and we see where they are headed, our hearts ought to ache. We really should be broken as we consider our neighbours, as we consider our unsafe friends, we consider our workmates. We should be broken. Our hearts should be aching for them. And earnestly we're praying for them to be saved, to be spared from the wrath of God. As I was considering what our response must be, Jonah came to mind this week. You know, Jonah is a a classic example in the Word of God of a wrong kind of response, a wrong kind of attitude towards the wicked. Jonah, he longed for the wicked's destruction, didn't he? 
He longed for Nineveh to be destroyed by God. And when God didn't destroy them, what was his response? He was filled with anger towards God because God didn't pour out his wrath. Just go quickly to Jonah chapter 4 as we finish this evening. Let's just read Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 9. Jonah 4 verse 9. It says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the God? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the God, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. We see the contrast, don't we? The Lord, he was concerned. He loved the people of Nineveh. He wanted them to turn back to him. Jonah, his heart was completely wrong, wasn't it? But Abraham, his heart was right. He was concerned for these cities, and indeed, we should be concerned as well, beloved. Now, we are surrounded by wickedness, aren't we? This world at times is a horrible place to live in. And we long for the return of the Lord, don't we? We long for him to come again. But beloved, we should never long for their destruction. We should never long for the destruction of the wicked. Instead, we should long for their salvation. Beloved, we need to remember that our God is a long-suffering God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In fact, he wants them to be saved. He wants them to experience eternal life with him. Well, the time is fast running out for this world. We can see that destruction is fast approaching. Time of his judgment is coming. Beloved, let us daily passionately petition the throne of grace for the unsaved. And let's seek by God's grace to share with them the gospel message before it is eternally too late. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your servant Abraham, your friend Abraham. And Lord, we thank you for his response to this knowledge, Lord, of destruction that was coming upon these cities in the, in the Jordan Valley there. Lord, may we respond, Lord, with concern for the unsaved as well. May we respond, Lord, with earnestly petitioning you, petitioning for their salvation. Lord, we, we long for the salvation of our friends, our neighbors, our our workmates. And Lord, may you give us opportunities to tell them about you before it is eternally too late. Lord, we we long for you to return. But Lord, we also want souls to be saved. Lord, may you just work in our hearts this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.